Attention listeners, do you ever find yourself struggling to decide what to watch on a Saturday night when you're in the mood for horror? Or perhaps you're trying to round out your own horror film education. In either case, I'm sure you'll be able to make some great discoveries in my 10x10 Horror Watch List, featuring a breakdown of the 10 favorite horror movies from 10 renowned horror directors. We did a deep dive of the favorite horror movies from directors including Guillermo del Toro, Ari Aster, Jordan Peele, Quentin Tarantino, James Gunn, Rob Zombie, Martin Scorsese, and many, many more. Here you'll find a collection of each director's favorite horror movies, along with quotes about what they appreciated about the films, all in an easy-to-reference PDF that you can download absolutely free. Featuring a mix of well-worn classics and deep cuts, hopefully you'll discover some overlooked gems and look at old classics through new lenses. Download the 10x10 Horror Watch List for free by visiting nicktaylor.com slash horror guide. That's nicktaylor.com slash horror guide. Welcome back to the Nick Taylor Horror Show. As always, each episode of the Nick Taylor Horror Show explores how today's horror filmmakers are getting their movies made, while deconstructing their methods and career strategies into practical insights that you can use on your own horror filmmaking journey. This includes their creative processes, funding resources, favorite books and tools, key life lessons, and so much more. From Wellgo Entertainment, The Loneliest Boy in the World is billed as a modern fairy tale, except with zombies. When the sheltered and unsocialized Oliver is tasked with making new friends after the sudden death of his mother, he decides that digging up a few corpses might be his best bet. However, when he awakens the morning after his excavating escapades, he discovers that his newly acquired friends have mysteriously come to life overnight, launching them into a series of misadventures as they try to keep their secrets safe from neighbors, classmates, and social workers alike. So, I enjoyed this movie a whole lot. It was super charming, funny, and surprisingly tear-jerking. It has many metaphors about things like bullying, tolerance, accepting people who are different from you, and the notion of chosen family. And overall, is a great example of mixing horror and heart, which I always enjoy. The movie could also be described as a family-friendly version of Idle Hands, and overall is a great recent example of modern gateway horror, which I don't think there is nearly enough of. Despite being rated R, which I don't understand, you can totally show this one to your kids, and I recommend you do. Also, the production design on this film is stellar, especially considering that they were on a budget. It has a strong visual nod to Edward Scissorhands, but is very much its own thing. It also has strong hammer horror vibes, and overall is the kind of movie that looks like every single production design detail was agonized over. It's just visually beautiful. 
The screenplay for The Loneliest Boy in the World has been around since the 80s and somehow took decades to produce before landing in the hands of British director Martin Owen and his team. The movie also stars Max Harwood and Hero Finds Tiffin, and we have them all here for you today. Without further ado, here is Martin Owen alongside Max Harwood and Hero Finds Tiffin, director and stars of The Loneliest Boy in the World. You got that Statham sound a little bit, for sure. Oh, it's both, nice. Both do. Yeah. You've got, you've you got, got the gravel you've dance. You've got well. the It's nice. Podcast I'll take it. I'll take oh, it. Yeah. 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 It's really nice. It just happens after a while. <laughs> if I want it. together, I think it'd be pretty sexy. I We can, like, read bedtime stories. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Well, guys, good to meet you all. Huge congratulations on the movie. Uh, I really enjoyed it. Uh, it's definitely uh, very surprisingly heartfelt. And uh, I, like I was saying before we started, I feel like we grew up on a lot of the same stuff. Yeah. Reminded me of the stuff that got me into horror. I feel like this is like perfect gateway horror, yeah. of which there's not enough nowadays because it has so much heart. But it has the horror. It has the laughs. Um, it felt like it came from a very personal place, though. Can you talk about the inception of the movie and kind of where it came from? Yeah, absolutely. So, um, so, so the script was actually the script was written in the eighties. So, oh, wow. so, so basically, it was conceived. The script was conceived by um, Brad Wyman, Piers Ashworth, and Emilio Estevez, um, which in itself is cool. Um, because I mean, I, you know, I personally buzz off Emilio Estevez, but that's just me. I'm going to talk straight away. So, um, but yeah, so I kind of, I read it, loved it, and it had this real authentic kind of like 80s feel. I said, like, wow, yeah. I, I thought I could write 80s stuff. And then I read that, I was like, I really can't. And then it was obviously I realized it was actually from the 80s. So, um, and for me, it was just really interesting to have a story that's been around for so long and the theme still felt relevant today so to yeah. me that was that was what was super kind of intriguing i think very very cool yeah it had a natural 80s vibe to it which was like yeah. hard to recreate but it also felt pretty modern yeah for yeah, sure that's good yeah <laughs> there felt like the, one of the vibes i got from it it really seemed to thematically be about kind of treating people who are different with more compassion you know is that accurate an accurate read into it to a certain uh, degree I, I think i think so yeah i think that's exactly it and i think also you know the crux of what it's about i've kind of said a few times that it's actually it's actually max who gave me the best answer for this was mm. before we started shooting the film we'd we'd speak about like oh what what's the journey and this and this and this and we were talking about it for a couple of weeks and then max just calls me one day and he's just like do you know what this is was always like this is just this is a story about a kid grieving. Mm. That's yeah. what it's about. You're yeah. welcome for the answer. You're welcome. <laughs> Thank you, Max. Max has all the answers. <laughs> sometimes, sometimes. <laughs> uh, yeah, but you're right. I don't know. It's interesting that you say about it having a little bit of a, a modern twist to it. Mm. I don't know where that comes from. I think that's probably to do with you know a lot of like us sort of infusing our own yeah. experiences into it and how maybe that strikes back to you know we're how you know how things reoccur in history and you know we're definitely at a time especially after the the lockdown and the pandemic where people are going through that sort of strange isolation yeah. thing yeah. i think it adds to the kind of like it's just i love how kind of wacky and all, like it's with the different accents and different like you almost like don't know where it's set is it reality is it not is right. it, like, it the, the kind of like surreal abstract nature yeah. of it really plays into the storyline because it's obviously you got loads of dead people coming back to life and <laughs> acting like normal people while yeah. deteriorating. You kind of need yeah. to, to 
create some sort of environment where we buy all this stuff and, and, and we don't have to, you know, question any of the laws of science and, you know. Yeah. Now, I noticed that. I mean, I noticed that you couldn't really, it wasn't really clear where the movie took place. It's like, is it in Europe? Is it in America? But it did have a kind of timeless and placelessness mm. to mm. it, which I thought was cool. Which that was purposeful, though, right? Yeah. That was yeah. purposeful, right, man? Yeah, it was. It was the, the idea was it was kind of this sort of slightly heightened reality yeah. in terms of like it's definitely steeped in Americana but on the same hand it, we shot it in Wales in the mm. UK so it's kind of like I, there wasn't a point where I thought like this out and out I need to make this look like a, sp- a specific place in the right. US it was just very much influenced by kind of um, the US and Americana and all, all that kind of stuff is there but there's also other things I wanted to bring into it so it was just, as I said, the idea deliberately was this heightened reality where you couldn't quite pinpoint where it was. Yeah. Um, but that used to happen in 80s movies, that used to happen quite a lot. Yeah, for sure. You know, there'd be like made up places that kind of look like one place but felt like another. Yeah. They feel built, they feel unreal. So, like, I suppose it yeah. could be literally wherever. And I think that they're, instead of more specifically refer- referencing a place, um, you're more specifically referencing a period and also a, t- a type of movie, which mm-hmm. is like, in our case, you know, 80s genre films you know for me the way in was like edward scissorhands yep, beetlejuice sure, yeah. you know johnny depp winona Ryder, those actors so um yeah it was more specifically geared to uh, that than um actually where is this place what what yeah. is it real is it not real so it's yeah. in that 80s film world isn't it yeah, yeah. Almost it is, the, like yeah. location and, and time yeah. is like yeah that's sure. a good point. it takes place in 80s Film, yeah. which is. I feel like some films lean into being like films, and some right. films want to be completely original and, and normal. And I think it's, it's quite clear what, what Martin's gone for and executed it. Yeah, yeah. Was that it? That must have been intentional in terms of. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's absolutely. really cool. Yeah, thank you. So, what was. Um, what what was the kind of media diet that you guys were put on to prepare for this movie? Did Martin the media up? diet? Yeah, like what things we were allowed to say or no stuff that he what wanted you guys to watch, to like old mo- references. Is there anything that you guys um, watched to just oh, kind of okay. get a sense I, of the I, tone I, of the movie? You should, yeah, I mean, basically, I'll let these guys answer it. But I know certainly when we first spoke, when I mentioned Edward Scissorhands, Edward Scissorhands was a good reference, not just because of the, not necessarily just the, the style and the tone. It was more the fact of like those cross-genre horror movies from the 80s where it was like sort of again elevated heightened reality but you ultimately had a character with a very relatable journey and relatable plight at the centre of it I think and a very unique something that felt unique also and you know tapping into something that's you know, sort of un- otherworldly, unreal, and mm-hmm. those, those, you know, those productions. You know, you talk about a lot. We we'll talk a bit about production design, I guess, today. But um, a lot of that is from those sort of movies, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Did you guys? Is there anything that you guys watched to to prepare for this movie, or you just probably had Edward Scissorhands? And- no, I, 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 I went back and I, I really did, I did really rewatch that and look at everything that Johnny Depp did and. Um, because you actually as an actor i i find in terms of style like the best way to um like come up with a style reference is about looking at what lens it's coming coming through and yeah um performance referencing is not a new thing for actors but that performance was one that i was really like geared towards leaning towards like as a as a as a jump off but um yeah like lots of other stuff you know we spoke this morning about movies like the goonies and mm. uh, you know young adventure fantasy films and stuff like that so there was lots of new stuff new stuff that i hadn't seen and stuff that i had seen that i went back to rewatch that you know me and martin spoke a lot about um, yeah 
it was mainly it was mainly tonally i mean the script was written in the 80s so lots of lots of the information for us was already in the script and it was just about especially for me um playing oliver it was about um meeting the script with some form of truth and then meeting the zombies and and all of those people when they come to life on the set and just being really reactionary in the world basically that was created by the by the team yeah so as far as that world was concerned, I'd love to talk about the the character creation process for yeah. you both. I mean, I, I feel like with your character, we see him digging up corpses. Yeah. It was very easy. So fun. So, so fun. It looked like it was fun. I love that montage, <laughs> the exhuming montage. But I feel like with a character like that, we see him doing these very creepy, questionable things, but he's still very lovable, and you're yeah. rooting for him the whole time, you know? Yeah. I mean, your, your, your performance had a real pathos to it, you know, Thank that you. I thought it very easily could have gone the other way, and it would have wouldn't have been as believable. You wouldn't have been rooting yeah. for him you know so so much hinged on your performance so yeah. i'm wondering how how you were able to kind of crack that and be relatable and be sweet while still being doing these very creepy things i think it's because i well i very quickly learned i wasn't making a drama okay um when i first read the script i read it with i read it with that lens and then when i came to martin in our first meeting i was asking him loads of questions that were kind of you know really relevant at the time for us to mm-hmm. understand Oliver's world but then it was the tones and the shifts and the references that really were like oh we're, we're not making an out and out drama film and I was able to you know lean into the comedy moments and I think the light balances out the shade a little bit with this one yeah. um, and I think it's like really perfectly expertly executed by Martin and, and you know the script um, but yeah every time Max talks about like <clears throat> when he first initially interpreted it as a bit more maybe like dramatic and a bit less comedic, keeps making me think how interesting it would be to do the same film, but with like a really serious, no comedy, and it's about a guy, and maybe the the, the people don't even come to life, there's no magic, and it's literally like, and and he's got to like hide them, and he's like, really believe in they're alive and people are coming round and you're there like this kid is yeah. so twisted. Netflix yeah. made that, it's called Dahmer. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Well, it seemed like you guys were all having so much fun on set. And obviously, you know, as a director, you want to have fun and enjoyable set. But, I mean, particularly when you're working, when you're not working with Marvel budgets, there's a lot that you do have to get done. You have to get your day done. So what was the environment like that you built on set? And how were you able to balance fun with, you know, getting the shots and making your day and all of that? Because everybody, the whole, you could tell the whole cast was enjoying the hell out of themselves. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was interesting because we shot this during lockdown in the UK yeah it was interesting because if we hadn't have all got on I was saying to someone the other day if there'd been even just like a couple of people and liked each other or there'd been a weird atmosphere it would have been a different movie yeah because we were all together all the time making this film and we you know it wasn't necessarily that there was a system implemented we were just very fortunate to have a really great cast and a mm-hmm. really great crew you know that really from my perspective, I'm only as good as the people around me. Yeah. You know, it's like it's like playing football or something. You're only as mm. good as your teammates. Right. You know? I honestly think that's one of your one of the kind of standout best traits about you as well is that like I feel like there were times when we're playing with a scene and we got the time to, to explore different ways to do it and you see back at Video Village or Martin looking at the monitor and there's probably like 10 people around, like a grip and Martin's like, what do you think? And, and asking mm. like, getting everyone involved and Max, Max works with Ali and she's there and everyone's opinion is taken on board and everyone's throwing stuff out there and I think that freedom to really like collaborate and have everyone have an opinion mm. no matter what department you're in um, really allows for that kind of, you know, enjoyable, yeah. enjoyable atmosphere. So. That's really cool. 
And the sets, I mean, the whole production design was fantastic. There were some exterior night shots, which are notably difficult to do. They just looked gorgeous. They looked like they were out of, like, you know, an old, you know, Roger Corman Poe movie. <laughs> um, could you talk about the production design, yeah. both from a set building perspective, the colors, and also just working with the DP and getting some of those really cool, kind of gothic, older, like, uh, like hammer style shots because the, yeah. the production design I thought was, was sensational. Yeah, no, I think the whole, you know, the whole team production uh, design journey and the team did an amazing job. And I think that, you know, I had very, very clear vision from the start. Yeah. You know, the, the whole film was centered around Oliver's house. So Oliver's house was always going to be the constant. It's his safe place. It's the, it's, you know, it's the place that represents his backstory. Right. Because it's kind of like it's as though the whole place is being dipped in aspic. It's though it's kind of like a preserved museum. Mm -hmm. It's something you know Max and I spoke about early on as well. It's it kind of like it's it's set in the eighties, but it's got this fifties, sixties yeah. thing stuck in time. Stuck in time. Yeah. And then there's bits of eighties in there, and, you know, you got the Alf plush in there and everything. But it's for me that was the most important thing was getting the house right. Mm -hmm. And then the other one was the the graveyard, the aesthetic of the graveyard, because we the graveyard we used, we saw it really early on. And um, it was a nightmare to get down to oh, that graveyard, wasn't it? Was it? <laughs> Everyone's like, you can't shoot Slipping. there, and you can't shoot there. And, and um, yeah, Matt, who's a producer, was like, "Look, I get that you like it, but it's it's really difficult to service because it was on the side of the hill. Oh wow! Um, In rainy it, Wales, where it it's basically like mudslides, almost yeah, like you, was, yeah. They couldn't get all the kit down there, yeah, like, yeah. Was, and well, one time it was flooded, like it was, it was underwater. Yeah. Oh my god, it was fully underwater, and um, so. We looked at a bunch of other places, but nothing else worked for it. And I kind of wanted it to have this really sort of 80s blue moon kind of like genre look to it for those for those yeah. pieces. Um, so in the end, I kind of got my way and we shot there. And how nobody kind of broke a leg or something is, to be honest, it's a miracle. Yeah, um, it was so, it was so like dangerous and treacherous to shoot there. But it looked great. And I think that, um, you know, Hovard who's my uh, cinematographer, mm -hmm. I think, you know, did a, I think he's, I mean, I, you know, I'm his biggest fan. Um, we've worked together for a few years now and you know, he's, he's one of my closest friends, but he's just so talented. He, what he can do and his, his ability to kind of give things a, a quality, if that makes sense, and yeah. soften the lights so they don't look really hard and really harsh, which can sometimes make a film you know, independent film particularly look cheap. I sometimes yeah. think it's very difficult to get that right. But he has such a great comprehension of that stuff mm -hmm. um, that you know, really, again, it's the same thing. You know, I, I'm only as good as some of my parts. Right. Sim simple as that. It's nothing to do with me. That's 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 him and his mm. his flair and his team and our camera operator James and you know, all those guys coming together to do an, an, an amazing job and create a consistent aesthetic. I think. Yeah. Yeah, well, it looked fantastic. I mean, it really, really looked Thank cool. You. Yeah. Uh, it kind of blows my mind that the script was around in the 80s, and it just yeah. now is getting made. Can you talk about the story of how it was first written and how it just was able to stay alive, for lack of a better term, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. kind of resurrected now <laughs> yeah. into a, into a full-fledged movie? Because, yeah, I saw Emilio Estevez in the credits. I was like, is that the Emilio yeah, Estevez? Like, yeah. how many, you know, Emilio Estevez's could there be? Like, yeah, I'd love to know the story of this script. I, I mean, I was very... When I saw Emilio Estevez's name... Um, when I found he was involved in it, on it, I was like, obviously, I, I was excited because obviously being, you know, a fan of the eighties, you can't help yeah. but be a fan of Emilio Estevez. Um, so no, I mean, the, what I think the story was, and again, I might be embellishing detail slightly. I hope I'm not, because I'm going to go for other people tell me. But basically, the, the 
the film was written in the 80s it was optioned by one studio then another then another mm -hmm. and I think you know the, the, the probably the, the writers probably made very good money off it as a, as a, as a film that was kept getting re-optioned over the best part of 40 yeah. years you know yeah. it's probably a great earner probably paid a few mortgages um, yeah. but the frustration for the guys was it never got made and I believe it came close to getting made like three times okay so I know that at one point um, they said it was going to be Corey Feldman who was going to direct it? Or who was going to be in it? He okay. was going to be Max's character in the 80s. Oh, wow. Then when it almost got made in the uh, 90s, it was going to be Macaulay Culkin. Whoa. Yeah. Which would have been, which would have, which would have been interesting. Um, and then I can't remember who it was going to be the third time, but I just think that's super interesting. Yeah. You know, kind of like, and, it's the, and, then, and then you see Max do it in a totally different way. And I can't imagine anyone else doing it but Max. Because <laughs> yeah. he's such an interesting, quirky... Yeah unique, nuanced, talented performer. I'm blowing smoke up your ass. <laughs> I'm staring at you like, keep no, going. That's true, I do know what you, I feel like I'll sometimes you, you do You do get that when you yeah. someone brings a, a character to life, and that's not a pun, because he, he, you know, yeah. he is alive. But um, you do watch it and you go like, yeah, I don't, no one else, no one else could have no. done that. I know exactly what you mean. Yeah, it's true. I, I'm like watching both of these guys and being like, like all the time, kind of watching Max, and we watch him on the screen and we go, He's so fucking good, like all the time. Like he's so, fucking, and then Hero just like hilarious all the way through. And it's just kind of I, I thought when I met Hero that he was like gonna be good at the comedy. Yeah. But I didn't think that he was gonna be as as great as he is at the comedy. Again, I'm just yeah. smoke up people's asses there. Um, but I do. I think both the guys did amazing. You know. And again, it's the same thing. The film would be what it is without Max and Hero. In my in my honest opinion. Thank you, Martin. Yeah, things have a way of working out. You know, it wasn't right for the eighties, was right for the nineties, was right for you guys to do it. Yeah, obviously. So yeah, yeah. So. I wonder when it was. I wonder when they were making it. Like whether whether they were really leaning into the comedy because I think actually like the 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 I think that's probably where our take is re probably it fits really well because like, yeah, I yeah. think we really leaned into it not not taking it too seriously and I think that's kind of where this movie shines in its heart and its and its funny bone. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's it's interesting to view the movie through, and I feel like this might be the wrong context, but through the zombie genre context, because yeah. like, mm. people have been talking about how the zombie genre is so overdone, but this mm. felt very fresh. Yeah. So I'm wondering, was there any care taken to approaching this movie through the context of you know being a zombie movie? Because if I were to categorize it, I wouldn't call it a zombie movie necessarily because it doesn't fit the trope. I agree it's with not you. Apocalyptic, you know. Mm. But um, was I, I, I agree. I mean, Max and I don't agree on everything on the film. <laughs> I know we can't agree, but yeah. there's a certain couple of things we still debate on. But um, that 100, percent I agree with because the idea was, particularly with the zombies, what we did the way we that I approached it was that with the whole family of the undead that we didn't it wasn't about them being undead so yeah. I directed them in the same way as if they weren't the undead yep. yeah. and that was kind of our approach they played it straight you know so yeah. Hero played his character in the same way if he wasn't undead as did Ben as did Susan mm. as did Zenobia and I think that worked that Definitely. kind of brought the humour out yeah. brought the heart out I think they're literally the zombies are literally a device to um Show, to show and display chosen family yeah. in this, in this yeah. piece that's literally yeah. it I heard someone I, heard, I saw someone write but surely uh, Ashley Benson's character would have smelt that it, they're not real what are the rules because no rules. Do we should, exactly there are no rules 
should they should Ben be eating pizza or should he be in human flesh? Should people be getting infected? Do they yeah, should they yeah, want? Yeah. Do you know what I mean? It's like right. it literally happens to be the, the only sort of zombies or just people who have yeah. come back to life after being dead. It's, I also uh, think that's why like zombies genre is so good and also so done is because mm-hmm. actually creative people and people that love horror and zombies actually we don't know enough about what happens when your body decays because it, and what when people come alive because it doesn't right. happen. So you get you get to have creative freedom to make your own mind up about those things you mm-hmm. know, but we're not taking it too seriously you know yeah. like it's and also it's it's a metaphor for family it's then the zombies mm. are there as entertainment right because that's this this film is hopefully entertaining yeah <laughs> yeah now it's, i say hopefully fingers crossed <laughs> no absolutely was entertaining um yeah it feels like there was a big sort of met there were there were big metaphors in the movie it felt mm. like um and i feel like it's the kind of movie where you could read into it and you can put your own metaphors into it but what were you mentioned chose the notion of chosen family what yeah. were some of the intentional metaphors if, if there were any that were put into the movie if any, or is it just you know? The I don't. Collective know if, I don't even know if that. I don't even know if that them that these that the themes are very metaphor metaphoric. I think that the 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 zombies are more divisive than they are metaphoric. Yeah, you know, it's like they're a, they're a visual element to entertain, and rather than being like, oh, he's choosing. Do you know what I mean? And maybe that makes yeah. no sense, but no, no, I get, I get what you say. I think it's. You know, it's that thing we touch you know, with Forrest Paul, it's kind of like, you know, you can choose friends, but you can't choose family, but Oliver does. You know? Yeah. And I think that's that's kind of something really interesting, I think, that the film explores. And, and also, as I say, it's kind of like, for me, the way I look at it is that everything in the film is just is just the wrapping. It's the wrapping paper. It's kind of like, at, at the core of it, it's a relatable story about a young man who is experiencing grief. Like, he, we, we are with him during the period of his grieving. Yeah. And it starts at one end and he comes out at the other. And I think that's that's what I like about it. It's, yeah. it's, it's absurd and, and it's bonkers in places, but yeah. but ultimately at the heart of it, it's a very it's something that everybody at some point in their life comes into direct contact with, you know? And, yeah. and I think it makes Oliver very relatable. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Correct, Martin, correct. Phew. <laughs> Successful. <laughs> We, we agree on that. We agree on that. <laughs> apparently, there's a balance when it comes to horror comedy that's kind of. Apparently, the right balance is 80% scary, 20% funny. I feel like you guys probably. Other way around. That or yeah. the other way around. Yeah. Was there any intention to make. Um, I mean, there were some moments that, you know, were definitely could be considered scary. But. I feel like you were balancing comedy, horror, and heart. Like it was very emotional. It was very sweet. I could see people crying at the end of it because you yeah. know it was there was a real beauty to it. Yeah. So I'm wondering how you were able to balance those those three elements. Um, I think the key thing was just to not overthink it. That was kind of my, my yeah. approach. Was like, look, it's it's. It, I see what the story is. I see what it needs to be. Right. And, and just focusing on the story, focusing on Oliver's journey. That was the key thing. I think. I almost for feel like we were talking about that like how when the different characters and what different people bring. <clears throat> I feel like sometimes you all need to bring a little bit of everything and sometimes you each just bring each kind of percentage and with Ben, Susan, myself and Zenobi being free to just be funny and we don't have such a like character arc that's so nuanced that we need to focus on it we're almost like an extension of Oliver and therefore he brings the heart Mark and his prosthetics team bring the horror and we bring we try and bring the comedy and it's almost like that's that's kind of I guess how we approached it rather than all being like we all need to make sure we yeah. all hit comedy right. we all hit you know horror we all hit heart um, and I suppose if my if I if I played the um, if I played the horror and I played the the if I lent into 
the side of Oliver that, Oliver that we, we really actually didn't really want to lean into too much. I think that you wouldn't you wouldn't fall for him, and actually, mm, like yeah. you you really need to fall for him and feel for him and understand that actually what he's doing is just bizarre and shocking. And mm-hmm. yes, it, it's scary and strange, but you're more like what the hell's going on here? Like this kid's clearly going through a lot. And then, you know, the fact that the zombies come alive is, you know, again, another, it's more like a bizarre element and it adds fun rather than it being like, oh, what's he going to do with all these dead bodies once he brings them home? Yeah, that's very, that's very true. It's very true. That's testament, I think, to to Max is the fact that I, and I certainly do, I'm not watching the film and I'm not like thinking, oh, he's dug these dead bodies up and suddenly where's Mechie's gone into the bedroom? Oh, yeah, you know, you don't, you don't, (laughs) at any point you do not think anything weird's gonna happen like it's it's right. yeah his kids digging bodies up yeah he's digging bodies up and taking yeah. them home but at no point you still like him when he's doing it yeah which really is testament to max's performance i think yeah <laughs> 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 no but i know exactly what you mean you, it could, I mean? you could it's like we talked about earlier you could do it with a different different lens that yeah. does does make you make you really dislike it very yeah. very easy on yeah. paper to think why do we like this guy what's he doing yeah and i do think it's testament to how max max played him because you don't think that at all. No, you don't. I totally agree. Not at any point when we were shooting it, editing it, I watch it back. Do I think that like he's trying to do anything nefarious? Mm. Weirdly, even though he's literally going to a graveyard and digging bodies up. Yeah. His motivation at every single point is is really his motivation is pure. His motivation yeah, so is pure. you know, yeah, and that's what's interesting. It's about playing the innocence and the simplicity yeah. of like leaning into what he's told to do. Like mm-hmm. Ashley says, "Oh, go drag him, drag him out there," and I'm like, "Okay." Yeah. Is, is that fine? Can I do that? Like, right. so I think he's 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 a listener and he 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 listens to instructions and I think that that's probably where you don't those little moments like that which are you know you know a bit signalling in some ways but they they actually relieve you of thinking that he's doing anything wrong because right. oh he's just doing what he's told right yeah. of course yeah. he's gonna do it he's and naive and he doesn't know you have such a good insight into why he's like that because of how his, like, you know, his relationship with yeah. his mum was and why he you know he is such a as you say like, listener and just follows orders right well I feel like he touched on an interesting concept which is not overthinking things when it comes to this movie when it comes to the tone when it comes to the performance nuances yeah. and I feel like would you say you were able to both in the context of you know directing the movie and acting in it do you say it was fair to, that you mostly just relied on an intuition in terms of like finding the characters finding the story finding the tone finding the balance between horror heart and humor was it is there a level of intuition that comes for me it felt like purely for me it felt like purely intuition there was even one moment where mom was like should we explore like doing this in American Accent and I was like, I'll oh, sleep on it and let you know. And we'd always do kind of yeah, yeah. on English before, and like said the next day, like this is gonna mess everything up for me. I, I, as I said before, I often get a character and have to work it out, and we chat to friends and the director, yeah. and, and we have to literally pick. I'd be like, okay, we're not gonna go that way. We're gonna bring, we're gonna do this. Yeah. And with Mitch, I was like, no, no, I'm, I'm ten pages in, I know how I how I want to do this, and yeah. that's why it was intuition or, or yeah. yeah, it just it, it wasn't complicated for me no. at all. It was just no. it was fun. Like I can't stress enough how how I knew instantly this is just gonna be fun. Playing yeah. this guy and 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 it was more, even more so than I anticipated. Yeah, there, there was actually very few or zero conversations with any of the cast about kind of like sometimes you have these conversations where it's like, but I really want to do it like this, and I'll be like, no, but that doesn't work, and I'm like, I, I want to do it like this, and I'll be like, but I don't want to do it like that. Like, mm. this makes sense to me. It doesn't work for my vision, and and um, you know, but none of those conversations happened. Like, all all of the actors in this film, like across the board, are like. Or everybody like instinctively very quickly knew what they wanted to do, yeah. which is great for me because it's not my job to tell someone how to act. 
Like right. I see, like, and listen, I don't. Everyone approaches directing differently, but I find this the approach of kind of like walking over to someone and showing them how to move their arms and how to do this and how to do that. I find it a very kind of. I'll be honest. I find it a condescending way yeah. to tell people what to do. It's like you know, like it's like it's like any job. I was 16 years old, got a job in Pizza Hut, which we touched on last night, but I'm not telling that story, don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> but like, but like, oh no, but, no, but you start, no, but you, you do any job, it's like someone coming up to you and saying, oh, can you like lift that tray of drinks higher or lower? It's like, you just do the job. Right. I just yeah. want to do the job. Yeah. Right. How they're going to do it, you do it. And it's like, to think that everything's subjective. So the way that I do anything is different the way different hero does it or Max does yeah. it. And you trust all, all, the, all the guys to come on board and do it. Yeah. And they all did an amazing job. And I had, I had very little to do. My only job really was because they were all doing such unique and different things, just to ensure every time we're all just a little tweak here and there to make mm-hmm. sure on the train was the track in the right direction. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but otherwise, like it was really down to all, all of them. I mean, the entire cast, I think it's great. And the supporting cast are fantastic. Every yeah. single one mm. of the cast, yeah. I, I can't complain about a single one of them. I really, I can't. I think they're all great. I think when with an, when it, with anything when you're preparing to like uh, lead lead a film and you have a lot of pressure and a lot of stuff to do like my my prep was quite heavy before we sh- we shot in terms of like reading watching yeah. mm-hmm. um, picking apart the script and obviously we shoot out of order so I I have a little bit of a process where I where I pull it apart and put the script in order and stuff like that and it was it was from doing that that I decided that uh, in on every page I was writing the word listen. Mm. Um, and so lots of the the things that I decided that I wanted Oliver to have, he, I was going to have and I was going to bring in terms of, you know, the, the use of my voice, which again was my voice is nothing like Oliver's, which you can obviously hear now. Um, but um, so the use of my voice, you know, I worked on that a little bit with um, a vocal coach and an accent coach and then... Um, leaning into being on set what you have to do with all that prep and all that research is actually forget it and throw it away mm. and let it permeate through mm. being present mm. um and uh, my favorite actors do that and like that's that's like something that is working for me right now in mm. my process um and it doesn't work for every film but i think for this one i just noted that on every page i was writing listen yeah. um and that's kind of was my main mm. my main sort of thing that i was looking for every day was to be surprised and to listen i think that's what lift can, can kind of enable you to lift it off the page and, mm-hmm. and make it nuanced is, is is not being like martin says is overthinking too much what you're doing because right. what can happen yeah. is you can prep and you can do all this stuff and you can make really firm decisions about your delivery and then you'll meet someone um like hero for the first time and then you'll do a scene with hero and you're like oh my god hero is not reading it like i've read mitch right, right. but i'm not playing mitch it's yeah. not my job to play mitch yeah. my job is to play oliver and i can only react to what i'm getting back mm-hmm. so you can't you can't um foresee that because you've not met heroes mitch and actually right. you do you do find it often it often helps in a way though because it does bring something even more i love it and like, yeah I, I i always like when, when i'm thrown, thrown off by how the person i was you know reading the lines yeah. with just to learn them was doing it yeah no but i find i find it alleviates the pressure of prep because you can't expect yeah. someone to have have the scene um really cooking along all the way through unless they've met before Hmm. so you have to you have to as a creative person when you're on a set working with loads of different people production designers hair and makeup you have to allow other creative people to do their jobs right. and understand that yes I am a vessel who's serving this story and serving this character and I have to meet every element of it along the way and yeah. that sounds like really profound and wanky but that's literally the truth yeah. um, so you, you are right in that sometimes you have to not overthink it and sometimes it does require you to bring a lot of prep and then just forget it 
it. Yeah, but I feel Respect. like the notion of the creative process being prep and prep and prep and throw it all away so you can be present, yeah. so you don't rub up against somebody else's portrayal if it's not exactly the yeah. way you saw it in your own head. I feel like that's enormous, and I feel yeah. like that applies to directing, it applies to acting, it applies to writing, you know, just yeah. be present. And I feel like that's that's a huge notion to think about yeah. as creative. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I think I think as well, you know, this film is kind of, for me, I have certain crew that I always now work with, and I trust them implicitly to, like, I know Horvath is just going to do what he said he's going to do. He's not going to change the plan. We've got a plan. He executes it. I don't need to check what he's doing. Um, you know, sometimes I give him a little push, make him go a bit faster. And if he's listening to this, he's like, what do you mean? Are you, why do you always say this about me? Um, but, Such a good uh, impression, to be fair to you. Yeah, it's, it's yeah. really good. And, um, yeah, it's really, yeah. really camp as well. Like, the yeah. way you, like, I made it a little camp, but I just needed yeah. that to commit to the performance. Yeah, he's not camp it. at all. <laughs> yeah, I don't know why not. I did that. <laughs> but, but overall, it was kind of, but with this film, it's like the point I'm getting to. Other than slandering Hovard was the, <laughs> was the we love the um, the cast were kind of like that for me. It was kind of like not always do I work, and it's kind of like okay, they're just going to get on and do it. Sometimes it takes a lot a, a lot more kind of you know kind of uh, shaping, so mm-hmm. to speak. Mm-hmm. But it's, I feel like everyone has hit the rhythm day one, and even you know I think all the characters like I mean I particularly like. Um, I like Alex and Ahmed who played the uh, the grave diggers. So I think they're so really good. funny. And like, no, like, honestly, I want to see like a TV show just about them or so a film funny. just about them. So they yeah. really tickled me. The pair of them were so so funny. So good. And like, um, it's kind of weird because like, like certain people you meet and you kind of like, there's just something about them that really tickles you. So like, yeah. Al- Alex is like the nicest guy. He's, he's great conversation, but like he has like a default setting of an angry face. <laughs> which, which, but he's talking to you, but he's being really nice and funny. And then he goes back to angry face. And it's, it's just, yeah. he's naturally funny. Yeah. Some people are yeah. naturally funny. Hamid was, and I think, you know, that everybody did great. You know, I, I think that the way that Tallulah's character is so different to, to, to Oliver, but there's the relatability of two complete outsiders. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I think that Jacob does a great job oh, as, like a, as a bully Jacob, because man. he just mm. doesn't, doesn't, that, you know, as a human being, he would find it incapable to bully somebody because yeah. he's such a nice, sweet yeah. human being. But having someone who looks like that and is like that as the bully actually works really, really well mm. rather than being the atypical, like, big jock. Right. Yeah. And I think he did it, you know, that's his his first film and I think he did such a great job. He threw really, himself really, I'm really into it. You know? I agree, I agree. That was great. And, and, and I just think, as well, like Nicola who plays uh, Tallulah's mom, I just think everyone, I'm just, you know, just like to give everyone a shout out because they think that everyone... Does such a great, great job, and obviously, you know, he always mentioned the family. They're all, I, mean, I think, they all do a brilliant job. The whole family, you yeah. know, and, and and Ben and Susan. Ben and Susan are just like, yeah, yeah, it, I, yeah. They were just, they're just hilarious. They're just yeah. hilarious people. Like, mm. But yeah, obviously, yeah, Ben's yeah. a veteran of the comedy game, and Susan, you can't talk to without laughing. Yeah. she's just hilarious. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Good, yeah. good, good I, 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 we all know who I thought the best performance in the film was, don't we? You, you thought yourself yeah. was the I best. Cameo. Yeah, yeah. Cameo I'll be dinner. honest. I think it is. Okay. Do you know what he? How many how many Coca Colas did you down? Uh, I did five. I mean, here I sat here agreeing. I, 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 I downed five Coca Colas. It was funny, that to be fair. I thought I was gonna vomit. I'll be honest, yeah. and I was like, my stomach was just like going like this. <laughs> it was like six inches further out than it was at the start. And I was like, why am I drinking real Coke? Which was yeah. The TV, TV repairman. TV repairman, oh, yeah. Okay. I'm, I'm such a comedian. So, so memorable. <laughs> yeah. So memorable. He's like, who were you again in the film? No, I didn't man. Know what you looked like at the time, to be fair. 
Yeah, yeah no, I mean, I no, kind of don't look like me. Yeah, you're a bit disguised. You've got a hat and a head. Well, you're always wearing a hat. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah. <laughs> but you've got the headphones. Me, and, uh... Yeah, we did a good job of making me look unattractive, actually. It wasn't an easy job. <laughs> yeah, just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of time in the chair for that one. Yeah, yeah, a lot of time. Well, guys, this is this is a whole lot of fun, and huge congrats on the movie. Uh, is there anything we didn't touch on that would be worth getting into, or you feel like we um, feel trying, like we, we did a thorough thorough trying job? To think. To one thing, to mention, we mentioned it earlier with like all the scenes where Max is 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 doing, you know, his amazing performance, talking to Hero's character, and Hero's just sat there. Yeah, there, there was there was moments where watching the monitor, and I legitimately thought Hero was dead. Like, I'm literally, yeah. you're looking at he's, still, he's not still. breathing. Like, most people do, the rest of the family, you know, like like any normal human being, you see the kind of when the bit where they're dead, the chest goes in and out, and you fix that in post. Right, right, right. Here, you're looking going, is he actually dead? How, how is he you know not, what? How is he not breathing? I was really close to him as well, and I thought I, it was very easy to think you were dead because you were very still. I'm glad, thanks, guys. You know what's funny about that? I actually, I feel like a couple times I'll be watching TV with friends anticipating this role coming up, and I just like, <laughs> You know, you're kind of falling asleep, and I just give it a go, like trying to just regulate my breathing and not move. And I just hear, like, bro, are you all right? <laughs> like, I'm just there. <laughs> like, yeah, no, I'm fine, 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 don't worry. <laughs> and then also, I, I, thank you guys, but I, I had two weeks, I had the easiest ease into a job because sometimes you step on first day and you're like, oh God, I've got a tough scene, I need to meet everyone, mm-hmm. I don't know anyone's names yet, I need to, you know. Um, I had two weeks of not doing anything at all, like just playing dead. Yeah. Almost to the point where by the time I had to talk, I was bricking it, but. Whoa. But, um, but I think there's almost a feeling of guilt. I think Max is just like doing Max, everything, Max literally moving me. Unbelievable performance, hero. Just sat there. It was almost like guilt of like, should yeah. I be doing something? Yeah. You know, it was like that was that was funny. Yeah, really nice. Well, guys, this was a whole lot of fun. I love the movie. Huge congratulations. Um, any sequel potential? Bride, so. Bride of the Loneliest Boy in the World. Oh, God, that would be hilarious, wouldn't it? <laughs> what would happen? What would happen in the sequel? The well, most popular boy in the world. Hey, that, that's, how, that's how we should end this. We should end this by what would each of our pitches be for the Ooh. sequel. That's a good idea. That's a good idea. I'll go last so I can think about it. <laughs> how do we bring back the family twice? Or like, you know. You have like, to, though. That's the thing. Would you have to? Mm. I personally wouldn't want to work with any of you. I think it's got to be something like it's got to be a big twist. Like we, we, um, uh, Chloe takes Oliver back to her house, and you realise that. Like, oh, I've got a good one. Some, something about her house is not quite right, mm. and like maybe she's a witch or something. I don't know. Yeah, I don't um, know. <laughs> I think, really shit, I think we take a like Truman Show approach and you check that, that all the zombies are actually just actors with makeup on and everything's been orchestrated to, to, to make Oliver do everything he's done and, and when Ashley says dig him up it's all a plan and we zoom out and we realise this was society's plan to help this one one lonely boy okay that's good that's out. really good that's really good yeah. are you directing it? Sorry, man. No, 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 please. I mean, I'm down. Listen, it. I think he should act in it yeah. more and I'll yeah. direct it. You should play the big boss at the, yeah. at the TV. Uh, yeah. yeah. In the moon or whatever. Yeah, no, I, I'm down for that. The I, I've got one. I've got one. You can have it. I would call it this idea of um, Oliver in the second one. The second one starts and Oliver is dead. Mm. So Oliver has died, but he has to come back to help to Luna's character and he brings back some of the family. 
not hero. Mm. He brings back the yeah. Not hero. <laughs> yeah. Well, you can't because I'm, I'm directing and I've done anything else. But you can have a cameo. No, I'm yeah, I'll do one cameo quickly. Yeah. Yeah. TV repairman. <laughs> <laughs> I think they're all pretty shit concepts apart from heroes. I mean, like, mine and mine. How about TV repairman? That's what the second one is. <laughs> no, but it would, it would kind of work, the Truman Show one, if the TV yeah. repairman ended up being the big TV exec yeah, boss. Yeah. There you go. That mm. is good. I just want to see the dog come back. I loved the little yeah. dead dachshund. That was yeah, 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 yeah. That was yeah. that was uh, it was actually that was my so the, my, it was my dog at the start of the film, and then we photographed her, and she the the, the model was based on her. So. Oh, cute! Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that was it. Got a big laugh at the premiere. The shot of the dog on the on the, the sofa. The dog falls off the sofa. Yeah, when 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 he when he when Oliver puts it on the yeah. sofa, and then again when it like that that. Got some massive laughs. Yeah. yeah, no, it was, it was, uh, it was, it was, it was. That stuff was on. God, we did it. I think the, the VFX guys did a great job. I think that's, oh, yeah, I think that's really like te- it's, 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 it's quite hard to do comedy like visually without any. This like yeah. that, that's funny with no dialogue, no lies. Yeah. Just like such a simple concept that yeah. sometimes that comedy can be can be the best. Yeah. Well, awesome guys, whole lot of fun. Congrats again. Loved the movie and all you listening. Check it out. It comes out on today, right? October fourteenth. Yeah, yeah, yes. Right, it is. Yes. October no. 18th on VOD 15th oh okay 18th on VOD it's in theaters now yeah. check it out on big screen if you can it is worth it check out <laughs> Loneliest Boy in the World alright here as always are some key takeaways from this conversation with Martin, Max and Hero number one always play it straight The Loneliest Boy in the World features an ensemble cast of sentient zombies, but still, the movie manages to provide a deeply moving experience. Despite the absurdity of the situation, the actors play the role straight and take it seriously, which helps the movie reach the viewer on an emotional level. A lot of horror movies are in danger of becoming campy, which can be a kiss of death if you want any sort of emotional resonance. The way to avoid that is to have your actors treat the material with seriousness, regardless of how absurd the situations may be. Number two, don't overthink it. When I asked Martin very analytically how he balanced the tones of horror, humor, and heart, he told me straight up that he basically just did it and didn't overthink it. And it worked. The movie has a very unique tone that's entirely its own. There are all sorts of exercises, archetypes, theories, and rules about how specific genres should be executed. But do we really need all of that? Yes, it's important to be aware of all of these rules. But at the end of the day, directors need to rely on their own creative intuition. Which brings me to my next point. Number three, learn all you can, then throw it away. In an acting context, Max was talking about how he'd spend countless hours reviewing material for a role and then throw it all away and let the material permeate through him naturally on the day. This concept applies to writing, directing, acting, just about any creative endeavor, and it comes down to being present and working with what's in front of you. Being over-analytical or over-attached to preconceived notions of things can be detrimental in any creative pursuit. Creative endeavors rely on presence, so learn all you can, throw it away, and let it emerge naturally. Doing this leads to more authentic, natural, ultimately more cohesive work. 
Anyway, guys, thank you as always for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, why not share it with your friends and family on social media? Don't forget to follow the show on Instagram at I'm Nick Taylor. That's I am Nick Taylor. And on Twitter at the same handle. And don't forget to check out The Loneliest Boy in the World, now streaming on demand. Thanks again for listening to The Nick Taylor Horror Show.